Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm recovering. I'm recovering from my uh, grizzly leg injury. Um, I've been I've been at the pool. I've been running. So life is back to normal by and large. Oops. That was a what little... did you break? I th- I think it's okay. Don't worry about it's, it. It's custom now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's good. That's... Is your leg getting better? I didn't. I mean, it looked like it, I mean, you're wearing sweatpants today. But... It, it is getting better. Yeah. There's um, the the treatment at this point is probably TMI for uh this setting but it is it's better okay the the uh, the doctor i've been seeing the best diagnosis i've gotten is ouchie quote unquote perplexing oh i love that yeah uh so but it's better right and like i said the treatment is tmi but leave leave uh suffice it to say it's not particularly comfortable i cannot wait to hear about it after we stop recording but (laughs) but it's getting better I'm yeah. so excited for whatever this TMI treatment is because we share a lot on air. Yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't shock anybody, but it's it's not. It's kind of yucky. So, but yeah, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm a little little tired, but I'm drinking red beer. And yeah. I have to say, I put four drops of the Reaper uh, squeezins in here mm-hmm. from Pucker Butt, um, and it's just a little bit too acidic. Yeah, it, it's got it's... a little bit too too much dank, and I think it's uh, it's still delightful. It's it's as spicy as I want it, but it's just a little too much dang. So I'd do three, three <laughs> drops. You know that stuff is really. You warned me. You're like, hey Andrew, that's pretty hot. You've had this before, but be careful. Like it's gonna make it hard to record. I'm like no, it's not. I always have to remind myself, like every time I use it, that uh, so I, I could be in for it. I did that with the. Uh, I had like an ounce of the El Yucateco extra hot mm-hmm. left in the bottle. And I made some burritos the other day. And I was like, there's not enough for to save this. Uh oh. Uh oh. Get in there. Save it. Oh. It's it's fine. It's fine. Ever just spilled red beer. Good thing I brought a paper towel. Spill. It just it just foamed over. Anyway, it runneth over. Uh so (laughs) I I used the last ounce on my two burritos and Yeah, I got hiccupy. Oh, it's so good. Kim got hiccupy last night. We had some hot sauce, and Kim got mm. got hiccups for like twenty minutes. Oh, my my hiccups last just a couple minutes until I, you know, shove more down my face. Well, I'd love to hear more about your hiccups because That's okay. we can skip my hiccups. You know, because we got something better to do. We got something better to do. Yeah. So we we've got we've got someone on the line here. We do. We got someone. And if you can't read, if you can't read, it is a man who needs no introduction. Uh, but we'll introduce him anyway. We've got, uh, this is actually something we've been trying to do for over a year. In fact, we we were talking as the show led up. We were talking as the show led up online. And he says to me, hey, should we do a trial Skype call just to make sure this is going to work out? And I said, Michael, we've done that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing this now. We did yeah. it a year ago. Yeah. Literally a year ago, we did a trial Skype call. So we've been trying to do this for a very long time. We're so happy to have Michael Happy on the line. Michael, how are you? I'm perfectly nice. I'm I'm fine. I'm super excited to be with you, guy. Man, we're excited we're, to have we're you. We're super happy. I I you were one of the first people that we talked about bringing on, and and here we are, a, a year and and change into our venture, and, and it's finally happening. I'm excited. Excellent. We've we've got your it watches. In, yes. yes, we've got your watches in front of us. We've 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 had them on the wrist for the last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about a week now. We've had these watches, and it's so great to have you on. 
Thank you. And it's so cool to see you on the other end because I don't think the people listening see you over here on the other side. It's, it's probably better for them that they don't. Yeah, they don't yeah. need to see this. Yeah. They, we, we've got radio faces, Michael. Yeah. That's why we don't do a YouTube <laughs> Good channel. Good face. Yeah. <laughs> My, Michael, so you're in Belgium. Yes. And so Beautiful we, Belgium. What, what kind of Belgium? I'm in the just uh, under Brussels. So Belgium is separated in so many different parts that uh, even that little country we are in uh, looks like a puzzle. Uh, so I'm in the French-speaking area, so I do speak French here, but uh, I also need to speak Dutch and a bit of German and a bit of English, of course. I would say you speak more than a bit of English. Thank you. Yeah. My mother would say that she gave me some genes from the United States. <laughs> right. So you've got you've got actually quite a bit of uh, American family. As... I do have a lot, and I'm so happy for that. Yes. You're you're happy for that? I think that's maybe something that that some people would like try to ha- keep secret right now. Uh, <laughs> never speak politics. So I won't speak politics. <laughs> but I have loads of great family all around the United States and, and very nice people. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, I, you know, we're drinking Sierra Nevada today, which is a, which is a Californian beer and American beer. And I didn't really, it didn't really occur to me. We should be drinking Belgian beer. We should be. We, we failed today. We failed. We screwed this up. But I will say last week I had a beer that was so good that I actually messaged Andrew about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, have you had this beer? Um, it was kind of a weird beer. It wasn't. It wasn't my normal my normal fare. But uh, Duchess Duchess de Bourgogne. I'm pronouncing uh, that Duchess wrong. Duchess de Bourgogne. Bourgogne. Yeah. Duchess de Bourgogne. Yes. So I had this beer the uh, other day, and I was like, "Holy cow! This is one of the greatest beers I've ever had." <laughs> yes, I think it's brewed here in Belgium, though. It, and it's uh, brewed in. Do it. Brouwerage. Verheige? It must be something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know all the cities. There are more than 900 beers here. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh, I need to move to Belgium. I mean, it's we crazy. live in like the Belgium of America. But I love Belgian beer. Yeah, you do. I, oh, I could live on Belgian story. beer. Yeah. A story about Belgian beer. We have one beer that can only be brewed in Brussels. Why? It's because the yeast come from the air within Brussels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so if you, you heard about that mm-hmm. one. It's uh, the Crique, Lambic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what is strange is if they need to change the roof, because all the yeast is on the mash, a big uh, pond under the roof, if they need to change the roof, they need to do it a quarter of the roof a year because they would lose the yeast sticking to that roof. That's incredible. That drop to. They yeah. have these big, they have the big, these big doors that they open to pull, yeah. ye- pull, to pull yeast from the fields. I've read about this. It's fantastic. What a, gr- and, and you know, yeah, I don't know how they make those beers on the volume they do, right? Because it's a very small operation and there is nary a store in the United States supermarket where you can't find Creek. Uh, creek. Exactly. That's the one. The Lambic, right? The Lambic mm-hmm. Brewing yes, Creek. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's delicious too. It's my, my wife even likes that beer. It's a women beer, basically. <laughs> oh, I, I like well, that It's beer. an Everett beer, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What, there's, it, a, there's a deer eating the ivy outside your you, you know, where I live, where I live, Michael, we've got just deer. I mean, re- oh. Literally about five feet away from us, there's a deer eating ivy in the front yard right now. 
I turn the camera okay, on. I'm, I'm looking around my place. I do see swans and uh, and birds and cormoran. Oh, oh really? Yeah. That's cool. Yes, I, I'm just next to a lake, uh, Lake of Genval, which is a great place. That's so cool. I love looking out the window and seeing stuff like that. I saw the brush moving and I was like, What's, what are you kids doing outside? I thought they left. And then I saw deer ears. And I was like, oh, hello. Andrew's, uh, Andrew's get what he's not saying is he's getting ready for his hunting trip. So he just did this weird arm motion. Yeah. And I got he, like weird tense. He was, was like, pulling oh. a string back, uh, an imaginary string. And I was like, what are you doing? And it's because it's uh, an automatic reaction. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's yeah. <laughs> It's instinct. <laughs> Hunter. I think every American basically has a little locker where you have your guns. Is that it? Ah. Well, I would say I'm, I don't, but I actually do because I just inherited some guns about a year ago. But I am not, I am not a hunter nor really a gun guy. But I do, yes, now I'm, now I'm firmly in the camp of the American with the gun locker. <laughs> they've only been out for they a, come with your house they've that's, that's how it is here it's like you buy a house part and of your property is there yeah <laughs> my guns have been out of that locker for approximately 20 hours while andrew helped me troubleshoot how to get them operational and then they went in the locker and they have not been out i've never fired them oh okay. i will at some point but they're they're very old i mean they're like they're 19 80s. yeah 1940s I think maybe Ooh. 50 for one of them. So they're very old guns and they were inherited and they're kind of neat, but I'm not really a gun guy, but you're right. That is a thing. That is a mm -hmm. thing. But we're not going to talk about politics according to pursuant to your rules. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so we actually had you on the show because turns out you make, you make watches, Michael. Indeed. <laughs> I've been creating watches uh, just out of passion, though. Just so. out of passion, but that's actually, uh, I'm not sure that that captures the full extent of what you do. So if, if you're listening and you don't already know because A, you can't read, or because B, this thing's on autoplay, Michael Happy is the founder and owner of Gavox Watches. Correct. And Gavox is, is a brand that I would probably refer to as a micro brand. But I know not all owners like that terminology. And I totally accept it. Totally. Okay. So a small, maybe a boutique brand. But but your brand is a little bit different than I think some of the micro brands we're familiar with, right? I, I think oftentimes micro brands are enthusiast brands, which your brand very much is. But they're enthusiast brands aimed at the general public, the general watch enthusiast, someone who might buy a Seiko to wear to work or someone who might buy a Timex on Todd Snyder or whatever. Your watches, I think, are targeted at a little bit different audience. Do you want to do you want to speak on that? Yes. Um, basically, all the watch I make need to please me first. I'm being uh, selfish there, but definitely when I create my watches, I think about what I like and think to link it to stories that I have in my family or uh, by passion. So I, there's 8 billion people in this world. I've heard that. If mm -hmm. I launch 100 watches, I'm sure one will land somewhere. <laughs> so that's, someone mm -hmm. will like it. Yeah, that's right. So I, I really take more care about what ingenuity I will put in a watch uh, what will I create within that watch that is unique or technical or innovative? And 
as long as it looks great, I'm sure someone will like it, but it first needs to please me. And every single of my watches has a story. And I can stay for uh, hours speaking about every individual watch and what story it has. Yeah, well, our plan is to record about seven and a half hours today, roughly, and we'll break this. This is going to be a six, or we'll decide later, six or seven part series. So, mm -hmm. So we're ready for it. We're, we're ready for each of the stories. So let's start at the beginning. Yeah. So I, I just go, GAVOX is an acronym of a voice of the galaxy. So I really hope to have the first watch that lands on Mars, March, uh, on, on Mars, Mars? Yeah. Mars, yeah. A GAVOX. Well, I mean... What are you doing to make that happen? That is the most fantastic I, goal. I love that. I've ever heard. And I think it's realistic, perhaps. I already spoke with, uh, with uh, astronauts. I already spoke with the uh, ESA, which is the European Space Agency. Mm -hmm. I planned to have a box of uh, 10 centimeter on 10 centimeter within my watch on the International Space Station. So I already have a whole plan. And I already have all the launchers to to do such a thing but i need uh, about fifty thousand dollars yeah so that's a bit over what i can do but this has been talked about i was inside a um, monitoring device seeing the box where i should bring my watch in into the stage uh, space station so this is not this is a really idea i have for my watches and have fun with that have you spoken with Elon Musk? I already met Elon Musk and I left him a card because uh, he didn't have much time. It was in Adelaide in the European Convention for Space and uh, no, for the, the International Convention of Space Exploration. And I saw him there and I saw a guard next to him, gave him a card. Let's put a watch on Mars. I left him. So I don't know if he ever read it, but there it is. He he listened to your podcast. Hey, I'm here. Yeah, he's a regular yeah. listener. He leaves us comments on our on our show notes so that, often. That, I love that idea. It's I love fantastic. the idea of 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 being the 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 Mars watch. Which would you send? Or have you even designed uh, the watch yet? The, I the thing is, it needs to be really a crazy watch. I designed the Aurora. As uh -huh. a Mars watch potential, but after trying it and putting putting it on a balloon uh, in the stratosphere, it didn't show the promise I hoped. Okay. So I need to create something different. I already had a plan talking to Casio to work with Casio, but they don't like working with someone else. Yeah, mm. that's right. That's right. You, well, what are the technical specifications? I mean, we all sort of are familiar with the Omega Speedmaster story, I think. <coughs> Excuse me. What are the technical specifications that you're targeting and, and what, what's going to be the most difficult hurdle to, to leap? Basically, it wouldn't be an automatic watch to go to Mars, okay? Mm -hmm. If Not I would put a watch on Mars, it needs to have calculation of the orbit and the time and the seasons Mars has compared to Earth. Because on Mars, the rotation of Mars is uh, 45 minutes more than Earth. So 
the seasons is not the same, the GMT is not the same, so we need to have a confrontation between Earth and Mars, and if I need to talk to someone in Mars, I know the distance is so much at that season, so it would take 42 minutes, 0.5, and I can be sure I arrive when he's awake, not asleep. And, um, oh, there's so much crazy thing. I could talk about ages, but there's, uh, there are people for the moment in the United States, in GPL, living on the Mars time for three months in a row and waking up as if they were in Mars because they need to program the uh, rovers on Mars at the right moment. And uh, you cannot program while they are working, so you need to program when it's dark in Mars and you send all the coding until they reach the sun and they are ready to work, they receive the message. And a Mars watch would know all that. So to say something sort of obvious, but maybe that took, I think, at least for me, as I'm listening to you talk, there's a, there's a very fundamental idea here, which is that basic timekeeping on Mars is different. There's a... <laughs> Something yes. like I said, something obvious, but something that maybe isn't immediately uh, apparent. The basic timekeeping. You have to have two separate basic timekeeping modules. Yeah, definitely. But I, I, I would like to, to bring in one watch, easy to work with, uh, with a long longevity, all the planets of, of our solar system in. And uh, imagine we have a trip Elon planned a trip to go to Mars. It's going to be a 500 days trip, and he needs to be able to uh, to know how much distance we've done so far. So on a scale of 100, we can say it's already 20% or 10% left or 1% left, and you can put alarm on the percentage of reach. Okay, we won't go too much. An in incredibly so complex done. countdown timer is what you're saying. So yes. Two timekeeping modules, an incredibly complex countdown timer, um, and probably some other shit uh, that's going <laughs> to... Okay. Yes, well, definitely. Fantastic. Uh, if you need consultants who know nothing about space and or timekeeping, I am happy to uh, work listen. on this project. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great, guys. I know who to talk to and to share. You, you know who to talk to for absolutely zero help. Uh, it's it's us for sure. Well, well, yeah. wonderful. That that that's actually uh, I think such a cool. I love it. Place for us to start, right? Uh, because we're sort of starting at the aspirational, but I think within that aspirational context, uh, we can start to suss out what Gavox really is. Because I think Gavox, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but I think Gavox is um, similar to some companies, particularly in the UK. Um, and, and and maybe some companies here in the United States. One one that's that's coming to mind. Gavox is is a company that has sort of a mission timer focus, and and you you actually have spent the majority of your going on ten years, going on ten mm -hmm. years, not quite, exactly. but going on ten years making watches, working with small units, small military yeah. units all all over Europe, uh, all, exactly. all over Europe and US now. And the U.S. now, um, doing sort of mission focused, but also, but also sort of organizational unit focused mm -hmm. timekeeping devices. So, how did you get started there? Um, 
Okay, making watches started here in Belgium. I created the squadron you have, Andrew. Mm -hmm. And uh, the squadron has all the aspect of a um, Type 20 watch, the Aeronaval, French Aeronaval, who requested a watch that can do all the things they needed. And so it's based basically on this thing. And when I created it here in Belgium, I have a few pilot friend who told me, hey, can I invite you to the base and let's make a watch for a special event for them. So I brought that watch, discussed with them, they wanted an alarm, and I created in the squadron that chronograph 12 hour for mission, an alarm, and a uh, rotating bezel, all that in a simple watch. And I created, they designed for them, I uh, use a logo, and to be personal, every single watch has their name, nickname, and the code. So every owner has its own watch. Oh, wow. And that's cool. Is that all on the and dial, or was it etched in the case back? It's on the dial and the case back. Wow. So I'm going on both directions, and uh, what, what is so great And I love all these military. Everything goes out word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So one of the Belgian guy who has that specific squadron watch goes in Portugal. In Portugal, he meets the guys in a bar. And what is that watch? He tells the story. And the other one says, oh, great. I want one for our squadron in Romania of an F-16 squadron. And I've, I turn out to make a Romanian Uh, squadron watches and not only one MiG-21 as well and the most crazy thing and I will always keep that thing available is when I make a watch for a pilot I say to them I bring the watch to you in your base Oh, and, really? have, and of course I love aviation so they have a plan they open the door I'm getting into the base. I meet all these pilots. I go and see all the flight simulator. I go into the 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 the, the aircraft, and the, the the most precious moment was when I reached the MiG-21 uh, squadron in Romania. They had two jets side by side. All the pilots wearing their Gavox on the side. And Michael, we have a little surprise for you. Come and stand in the middle. We'll make a photo for you. So that that is awesome. That's it's awesome. That's such a great personal touch. I love that you're that you're personally delivering these th these mementos because there's something there's something that that people from outside the military don't understand about these mementos that you carry with you for the rest of your your life these these the nostalgia of this group of people that you've worked with for however long and maybe or maybe won't see again after your time there is up and it's it's such a special thing i love that you're that you're you understand that and you're a part of it it's a it's a dual gift i'm making a gift for them for a watch that really feel They squadron, they mm -hmm. feel the unit. And on the other side, they invite me and, and share with me mm -hmm. what they live there. And I have so many friends 
uh, friend that are pilots. Mm -hmm. And whenever I meet them at some air shows, hey, Michael, come, hello, hello. And I get to go on the runway and stand on the uh, the cockpit. So uh, be touching the planes. It's crazy. (laughs) You know, Michael, it's not dissimilar to to what we do. You know, we got into this because we're genuinely uh, in love with watches. You know, the idea of watches. In fact, uh, I'm going to plug my friend Andrew at Astro and Banks. He, this week, introduced a set of banners. They're sort of woolen, old school oh, yeah. banners. And they just say, watches. They don't say anything else. They just say watches. And I immediately ordered, I knew, he, I knew he was doing this for quite a while. And I immediately ordered one because it sort of encompasses the idea, you know, the idea of watches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so silly and so ridiculous and so perfect. So we got into this because of that. I, you know, watches, right? But, but the ancillary effect is that we get to sit down and talk to Michael Happy and we get to talk to Andrew from Astor and Banks, Andrew Perez, you know, these people that are sort of, you know, mini gods to us. I think you at one point used that term in an interview about these pilots. You know, it's the same thing that we're doing. We're, we've got this passion project and it looks like one thing, but really it's a totally different thing, which is that we want an opportunity to sit down with Michael Happy over a red beer and, <laughs> and talk about watches. So I, I totally feel that that passion and that energy, that focus, you know, this is what I want right here. And you're getting what you want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's, it is, it is uh, you summarizing exactly what happened to me when I create watch as a passion. I never thought I would have my watch on Obama, for instance, or I never thought I would have my watch on Ban Ki-moon uh, or, I, I never thought I would shake hand with uh, or, or even kiss Monica Bellucci. How about that? Because I make watch. Right. We need to start making <laughs> so, watches. I know. <laughs> Wait, you know, we, we need to start kissing more yeah. people. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. <laughs> my wife accepted me uh, when, when I met Monica Bellucci and gave her a watch because I was partner in a kind of uh, Golden Globe stuff for Belgium. Yeah. And they asked me to be partner, and they told me, you're going to have a surprise. What, what? The uh, receiver, one of your watch, will be Monica Bellucci. No way, no way. So I arrived there, and I gave the watch to Monica, did a little talk, got a kiss on both cheeks. <laughs> and my wife tell, told me, okay, I will accept three days of uh, completely nonsense uh, Euphoria. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So can we talk a little bit about about your specific models? You you know, you've got actually a fairly diverse catalog. I I think that there's some trends in your watches, but your your catalog is very diverse. You know, you've talked about the Aurora. You've talked about, uh, we've talked a little bit about the Squadron. I'm wearing an Avidiver on my wrist right now, which is actually fairly different. You know, when you look at the the squadron, yeah. you look at the Avidiver, you can tell that they're the same brand, but they're very different watches. So talk a little bit about your catalog. So, you, you know, yeah, I think we this start is... early on and, and then maybe we, we move into what you're doing now. Good. So I kind of summarize my brand, Gavox, as made for higher, farther, and deeper. Okay. So it is 
that's the idea of exploration. <laughs> yeah, hmm? keep keep going. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> and uh, so, higher, of course, everything going to space or aviation, and everything farther means going far. You have another brand called Farer. Yes, but mm-hmm. it's. It, it, my idea was farther. Sure. <laughs> so everything on sea and everything on earth. So I have everything on sea who are more um, boat related or navigation related. Yes. Like the old time. So it's more classic watch. And everything on land is more car or motorsport or road trip watch. And then deeper is what you have on your wrist, the Avi Diver. But as you name, Avi Diver goes in two different origin, uh, aviation and diving. Yeah. That's sort of so, classic, uh, the sort of classic Flieger Diver or, or Pilot's Dive Watch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically, as I told you, I have fun designing all the things I design. And the IV Diver has a good story now is because um, I like to test my watch empirically. Uh, how do you say empirically? Empirically, uh, yeah. That's we don't right. say words okay. right here. You can say however you want. <laughs> <laughs> we mispronounce most of the words we say anyway. So I uh, wanted to test the IV Diver, who is rated 20 atmosphere, and bringing it to the bottom of the ocean. Okay, I took a fishing rod, 50 meter, uh, f- uh, 500 meter rope, and brought it into the ocean and check every 50 meter if it broke. Okay, it didn't. It reached 500 meter without bro- breaking. So I had to do another other experiment. Because you didn't, you ran and, out of rope. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 my rope was only five meter left on the on the, <laughs> on the rope, so I had to do another experiment. So I asked on my Instagram, "Who has a submarine?" And two days after, one guy called me, and I do have a submarine. We go to three thousand meter, so nine thousand feet deep. Oh, great! And. Uh, the guy took the watch, I sent him a watch, and brought it into the Gulf of Mexico, and it dropped to, uh, he, he had to work down low in 1,920 meter, and had a camera on my watch the whole duration until the watch imploded. And, and so, we've seen pictures of this imploded watch. <laughs> I have never shown you the video, but I need to publish one day the video. Because you see how a watch with a dome sapphire under such a pressure at 624 meter, it completely imploded and the whole crystal looks like it's reversed back. Yeah. It's, it's, that's crazy. It, you know, we're looking at a picture right now uh, and you can see, you, you know, the, the, you can see, I mean, really... Hard to hard to suggest that a picture will show how the implosion happened, but you can see it, right? So yeah, six hundred and twenty-four yeah. meters is is how deep it got. How how deep it got, which is at least three times what it was rated for, and I can clearly say that a dome sapphire is a good combination for high pressure. Yeah, because yeah. when you rate a watch twenty atmosphere, it's basically the thickness of the crystal, but not the fact that it's domed. 
So scientifically, a dome will hold much more force, like a globe mm -hmm, in yeah. the water, than a flat sapphire. Basic sort of bridge engineering mm -hmm. type principles, yeah. You, you Did the watch, so question, did the watch fail before it, it destroyed itself, before it was destroyed by the pressure? Not at all. No failure. It was, it, it, the, the, the failing was sudden. It was a fraction of a second. I should have had a slow-mo guy filming this thing. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is so fast. And yeah. I hope to have sharks and things like that around it for the duration of the, 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 the fall. But no. It turns no out sharks. they weren't going to cooperate. <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be great to have one of those, one of those uh, fish with the weird tentacle. Oh, yeah, the, like, yeah. The, like the light. Thing. Yeah, next time next time called? you should work on that. And, uh, yes, and uh, <laughs> my my contact, uh, he he's a great guy, and he even put a flashlight and shut it off to see the loom in oh, the man. darkness. So it's super cool. Well, super it, cool. And you know, I think that's another thing about your watches, right? There, everything that you've you've implemented here is done with a level of of. Uh, tool focus right like the loom on this avidiver is out of this world right it's sort of a sandwich dial with the loom coming from underneath i, I mean the legibility the the legibility on the avidiver is out of this world I, i'd say the leg, legibility on the squadron maybe a little bit less but that's the less. nature of You're the right. beast that's the nature of the beast but if i was going to take a watch and i didn't have a dive computer right you're going to take a watch into the depths where you might not be able to see this is that pilot style dial really focuses on legibility. This dial is fantastic, incredibly legible. When I had this thing on at night, you had to you had to put it elsewhere. What, no, I I don't mind that. But but if I want to know what time it is, I don't think there's another watch in my closet right now that it's easier to tell what time it is at two thirty in the morning on on a six hour old charge. Can you talk to me about your decision to do the to do rather than an external rotating bezel that internal rotating yes. triangle that's another idea because as the name state it's an avi aviation okay. diver made for diving and the idea of having an internal bezel means my ex my my internal bezel that will not turn with all the um minute digit will stay static mm -hmm. this one will not move it's only the triangle that moves and this will allow me to be used by divers because with a little triangle you say when you start diving mm -hmm. and you see how much minute has been passed mm -hmm. but you can use it also as a countdown by saying in 30 minutes i need to go up so i put my triangle in the 30 minutes compared to to the the minute mm -hmm. okay but for a pilot i needed to have a second time zone reference mm -hmm. They call it the Zulu timing, using mm -hmm. the bezel, mm -hmm. the triangle, for a second time zone. But with this one, it is the only watch that has a second time zone reading with the true minute. So it's a bit complex, but it's difficult to explain. Oh. But the fact that the rotating bezel never turn, mm -hmm. the minute shown is always true to what it shows. So if you read the minute on 35 minute, it is the minute, true, and the hour is just the reference with the triangle. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a bit complex, but it works. 
it it works it's one of those it's one of those complications where you it's maybe not immediately apparent what's happening but once you're there and you're able to suss out what it means and and get a and get acclimated to it it's it's functional and, and and serves a purpose right that's it that's it exactly and uh i try to make videos on my youtube channel to explain all the different features i did put in so uh Sometimes it's too complex to to be able to see all the things, but that's why I try to make some videos to explain. I, I, I'm going to need a little bit more explanation too. The the chronograph function on the squadron. Mm-hmm. The first thing I noticed, I hit I hit timer on it, and I was like, wait a second, we're we're not getting we're not getting racing chronograph functionality here. What's what's the thinking behind the hours, the 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 length of time that you've got? For, for this chronograph functionality? Uh, this chronograph, as it is aimed for pilots, mm-hmm. had to have not a single, not a one-hour chronograph, that's mm-hmm. too little, or 30 minutes, like uh, Breitling, to uh, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I need to have more, because these guys do missions. This guy flies over uh, Afghanistan, they did a lot, with my watch on their wrist. Over Afghanistan, it, it's... Uh, it's a journey. They had to fly from Belgium to Afghanistan in these planes. And I needed to have at least a 12-hour chronograph. Mm-hmm. And the central second is showing the second of the chronograph. Mm-hmm. But then underneath, I have the alarm stuff. Which and it took alarm, me a long time to figure out. I, <laughs> I figured it out incidentally. I was trying to reset it, and I heard a beep. And I was like, this is what we're dealing with. And then I, <laughs> and it find, like... I, I rather than reading anything about it, I was like, I'm gonna figure this out. And it's that was it was super cool. I was very excited when I discovered that. But this movement from uh, Honda, it's the easiest start and stop alarm that you could find because it has its own counter. This watch has two clocks inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One for the alarm and one for the time. But whenever you synchronize the time, you need to synchronize the alarm as well. That's right. So it's a complex movement, but for the moment, I'm looking at uh, Seiko Movement, who has another feature in its own alarm. He can be used as a GMT as well. So you like, you know, I like functions. Mm-hmm. We know, we know that uh, about you. <laughs> I, I, I find another function to put on the watch with the chronograph and alarm is a GMT. And for our for our, for our listeners who maybe are only familiar with English, I'm just going to make a clarification. Uh, this is a, a a movement. I'd I'd refer to it as a Ronda movement. I think you pronounce Ronda a little bit differently than I would, but it's not a movement made by Honda, uh, no. <laughs> the Japanese car company. It's a movement made by Ronda. No, it uh, is. This is Ronda. this is a Toyota or this is a this is a Civic that that I wear on my wrist. And and no and no offense because I think your pronunciation of Ronda is just fine. Uh, but just a clarification for folks who are, who who maybe were misled there. Honda is a good brand though. Honda. It is. They should and, get into watches. And, and, and Acura is made by uh, by Honda. No. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's only found in the United States. And I want to purchase an Acura, but in Europe we don't have Acura. That's right, but you you have the same cars, right? So my one of my good friends from college is a Japanese fellow, and he has in, in his garage a, a not a new one, but a vintage one of the original 
NSXs, uh, but it's a Honda NSX. Mm-hmm. It is not an Acura yes. NSX. Interesting. Yes. And I think it's yes. got like 25,000 miles. It's just an absolute gem of a vehicle. But you're right. Crazy. Acura is an American is an American <laughs> invention because uh, we're we're silly, right? We're silly in the United States. We're not our, the way marketing works here. We're not comfortable with a brand having different tiers of viable products, right? And, and sometimes we are more, sometimes more than others, but. I think as is evidence as is evidenced by Seiko's difficulty marketing Grand Seiko here, right? They've got a yes. very tough hill to climb, a very steep hill to climb in terms of marketing Grand Seiko as a viable luxury product. In Japan, people That's... get it. You know, and, and internationally, really, people get it. In the United States, people say, Oh, that's just a Seiko. It's a grand Seiko. Why did you pay that much for a Seiko? Well, it's because right? in America, we've always used adjectives on like uh, uh, economy brands. Mm-hmm. If, if, you use a, if you use a positive adjective and then the name, it, it denotes economy brand. I decided to keep my brand solo, where people say, you should make one called Legacy for all the marine style, one... Uh, Gavox just for the pilot, but I wanted to keep everything as another brand I like, which is Oris. Oh, if yeah. you check Oris, it has the same name, but it goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to keep my watch as Gavox, and it's a good playground. Well, you know, I think in Europe, people have more more comfort with that idea. You know, look at a company like Loco, for instance. Loco, mm-hmm. the German Flieger uh, company, they are able to sell 300, you know, 200 euro Laco Fliegers in the same catalog as $1,500 Fliegers. And mm-hmm. people do not object. In the United States, that's a much tougher pill to swallow for folks. The consumer here is just simply not comfortable. You, you know, and, and there's all sorts, of, I'm sure there's all sorts of socio economic assumptions that go into that difficulty um but yeah it's i think for a european brand that's a fairly normal decision i want to bring something about united states where i do believe all you over there and all the listeners your listeners and for other watch podcasts you are so much open to people trying to make something new with their watches Mm. like i do United States is a huge market for me. And I'm so grateful for all these people that just go on my web shop, buy a watch, and, oh, who are you? How did you get to know Gavox? And, and it's super exciting because you are not afraid of buying online. Yeah, It's something that seems easy for you. And I have excellent return from all the people that purchased. Oh, look, uh, I have uh, taken a picture of my... Gavox in the plane, uh, here's a picture, you can post it. I love that. You, so it's more... You know, I would say in ahead. some ways the American consumer is very is very savvy, right? Uh, technological savviness um, in terms of sort of scientific, I know that's a, a little bit of a weird thing to say right now, but in terms of their ability to comprehend um, technical aspects. I think that the American consumer has a tendency to be savvy, but there are other places, you know, I think in, in particular marketing, there's some nuance here and, and I'm not sure it's always, um, it's not always rational. In fact, I think the, the American consumer is oftentimes irrational 
but yeah, there you're right though. The American spirit is very much uh accepting of change and of yeah. pioneering and of small brands, especially right now. Mm-hmm. We're having a renaissance, a, a sort of boutique maker renaissance in the United States. And, and internationally, that is the case as well. But I think in particular, you see this resurgence of, you know, people doing craft things. Anachronistic. 25-year-old artisanal butchers. Yes. I mean, that's wow, right. Yes, yeah. Yes. You, you know, so there's a thing happening here, and and I think that you're probably experiencing some of that, right, in your in your vocation, in, in your uh, yes. uh, industry. So that it doesn't change the fact Definitely. that we're also irrational <laughs> and stupid about some stuff, Michael. <laughs> can, can, can we? We we are as well. But I'm 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 super irrational, but my wife still loves me. That's yeah. what that's what matters. That's why you got married, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why I got married. I was like, I need a, I need a lady who's gonna keep me honest here because I'm an irrational dude. That's right. Can we take a hard left and talk about the Western <laughs> Antique Airplane and Automobile Museum? Oh, in Hood River, Oregon. Hey, you know where yes. we are? We're in Oregon. We are You're right, in Oregon, three, the three country hours. where the, the the country where the best coasts. Uh, I love your coastline. Uh, I love your estrogen into the Portland because you grow estrogen to have caviar. Y- yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I so I thought you were saying estrogen, and I was like, I don't think I get that. No, sturgeon. <laughs> yeah. No. Now I'm now I'm there. Yes. Yes. Well, and I'm I with grow you. excess estrogen as well. Yeah. 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 You you have a great place which is unusual on a river called Hood River, mm-hmm. where everybody goes for. Say uh, for skite surfing yes. and beer, yeah, wind windsurfing, yeah. right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, windsurfing, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and think it's the windsurfing capital of the world. It, it gets referred to as. It's, it's indeed crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's, really it's, it's on the river. It. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So it's on the Columbia River. So so some of you ge- geographically, uh, Oregon is just south of Washington. We call Washington Oregon's hat. Uh, in between Oregon and Washington, at least on the western one-third of the state, there's a, a river called the Columbia River. This is a significant river for a number of reasons, both in sort of western uh, discovery and in terms of the the size and gravity of the watershed, um, the wildlife, but it's also absolutely stunning. It's mm-hmm. huge. It's enormous. At Hood River, it's almost a mile across. Mm -hmm. So it's this beautiful, wonderful, if you've never been to Hood River, Oregon, it's the type of place you'll never hear of because it's kind of culturally insignificant uh, and it's not as grand as the Grand Canyon or some of these other places, but you'd get there and be like, holy shit, how have I never heard of this place? And it's also like 75% short-term rentals. Yes. Like next to nobody lives there. And for 120 bucks a night too. Yeah. 120 bucks a night, you can stay in a condo, a beautiful condo. With a terrific view of the Columbia River Gorge. Yes. And hiking, backpacking, oh, fishing. The best, all of it. best, I mean, some of the best steelhead fishing in the world within an hour of there. Okay, Michael. So this message wham. was sponsored by Oregon Travel. <laughs> That's right. We don't mind. We don't mind. It doesn't feel bad at all to tell people the glory of Oregon because you're, you're right. about to you're about to tell us a, a, about yes. another part of Hood River. So I have 
a big family in the United States, as I stated before. My grandfather was in the Flying Tigers, so everything linked to aviation is is already there. You you may then, need to you may need to come back to Flying Tigers because some people are going to be like, "What's Flying Tigers?" and it's a neat story. But uh, but yes. I'll, I'll let you tell the story on your own pace. And the whole family flies, okay. And my uncle needed a nice place he can uh, find some good land and an air uh, an airport where he could put all his aviation, all his um, airplane. So he's a collector of airplane. Uh, need to know, my uncle invented a tree shaker. It is a tool that shakes tree to get all the walnut, the, <laughs> the orange. Yeah. And he invented the tree shaker from the United States, from California, and they made quite some money. Okay. I believe that. And his son decided to collect aircraft and hired two guys to search all around the United States aircraft, old aircraft and parts he can build. And he started flying all these aircraft. And after maybe 20 aircraft, that was a bit too much. So he created this museum, Wham Museum, uh, Western uh, you can say it better West, than I do. It's the it's the Western. I have to look it up again. Western Air. Antique Airplane and Automobile Museum, and it's got it all. It's uh, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. It's got airplanes, cars, motorcycles, gliders, tractors, military, other vehicles. What's well, I don't know what the other vehicles would consist of because that seems to capture all the categories. Yes. Oh, there's like uh like those big bicycles with a huge front wheel. Yeah. So Pen- penny this museum is amazing, and it started all by because of my uh, an uncle decided to uh, to collect planes. And one amazing story, he found a old Curtis Jenny series number one. Holy shit. That didn't fly since 85 years, and he restored it perfectly. And he was 80 and something years old when he started flying with that plane back uh, together. And flying like a charm, that was amazing. That's so cool. That was amazing. He recreated this old aircraft from Curtis, and wow. Uh, and, and since then, this museum is amazing, um, and it's run by the family. Have, have you Part been to the museum? I've been. Okay. I've been. But last time I was there, it's already uh, uh, nine years, so still a long time. But I still hope... Uh, to go there again for the flying. So, so a museum like that obviously shows the the heritage of aviation and of of motorsports in your in your family's blood. So, you talked a little bit about the flying tigers. Let's let's hit that real quick, and then I'll finish my question. Okay. So, uh, in 1940, the war was about to uh, was raging in Europe, and in the United States, States uh, Navy was ready to 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 come in support of uh, all that war, and my grandfather was asked if he wanted to join a crew of 180 people to go to China and to uh, to be called the Flying Tigers. These are the guy who trained the Chinese to fight against Japanese in 1941. The Flying Tigers are so well known because they managed to put down so many Japanese aircraft, Japanese uh, uh, bombers, 
and uh, still survived quite a lot uh, damage. And it, my grandfather was was there, and it's in honor of honor of him and the whole Flying Tiger. I created my first watch called Curtis P40, which mm -hmm. is the name of that aircraft, yeah. the Curtis P40E. Did he ever get to fly another one of those after the war? No, oh. no. But uh, he was a trainer on on the ground. He was not one of the flying tigers that has all the 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 big uh, uh, all the medals. Mm -hmm. Sure. But he was training all the Chinese on the ground in fake uh, aircraft before they can fly in because they were one single seated. Mm -hmm. So they 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 had to know from the start. They were tiny, right? They were they were basically <laughs> guns with wings on them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's that's actually phenomenal. I know Andrew's got some follow-up. So I just so with that answer in mind, you just talked you you sort of answered it, but how does that heritage within your family how has that influenced your journey into the watch world? And and how does that continue to influence your decisions and how is it going to influence your decisions in the future? I I am good question. I'm very proud of who I am about the family that created me. We are all inherited from someone. So we need to say thanks to all our ancestors because without them, we wouldn't be there, basically. So I'm so proud of all the stories and we had to search quite long in our family blood, um, our ancestors, because we, we could have gone in Gestapo in Auschwitz. So we have Jewish blood in my family and that Jewish blood made us very scared of our outcome, outcome during the World War II in Belgium. And my grandfather was arrested. And we had to search the family origin. And um, we, we, we found some amazing thing. Like, I spoke about the watch for the Curtis P-40. It's linked to the aviation, thanks mm -hmm. to my grandfather. But I have another watch, which is the Gavox Legacy, who is inspired by marine clock and the story behind there is an ancestor called um, Dirk Hartog discover Australia before James Cook and he is uh, my ancestor and now in the book in Australia they are telling stories about this guy who landed on the wrong side of the island and uh, found only sharks and dry earth left a stone there and left back to the Netherlands, but I created then a watch based on that idea of exploration of the seas. It, it, and it's a wonderful watch, too. You, you know, I'm always sort of critical when I listen to stories and I think... Um... This is this is a this is the most interesting thing we've heard today, and they're not going to tell us more. So we are going to put a link in the show notes to more of that story, and you're going to have to help us out with that link, Michael. Um, yes, but, but we're going to put more about that in the show notes. I think we do have to move on, and I'm really and, I, and it's really yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> I feel like the entire episode has been um things that we need to know more about so we didn't really even talk about watches today <laughs> i know i know and that's and that's okay you, you know i think sometimes that's okay uh because because there's so much here and we really could we could do seven hours we could probably do 20 hours with you um and i and i'm and it's unfortunate i do think we have to move on michael is there anything 
um, before we transition here, is there anything that you'd like to get an, uh, that you'd like to take an opportunity to talk about? Um, I, I would like, like a, a small boy, uh, saying thank you to every of your, li- your listeners that already know Gavox and that followed me and that are, I'm sure there are plenty of guys listening to your show and we already discussed, uh, no, I'm I'm so happy that you invited me and that I can talk to your show. Uh, that's it. That's it. Let's make it simple. Where can I'm people find you? Not physically. That I don't want them to come to your house. Yeah. But where can they find your <laughs> online presence? Where can they buy your watches? Where can they find cool pictures uh, of your stuff? The easy thing with Gavox is a name that no one used. So just go on Google and t- uh, type Gavox J A V O X. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, I don't have time. I can go on and on. So gavox.com Gavox. Perfect. And you find pictures everywhere. And, uh, the only thing I ask to my clients is if they have pictures of their watch on the wrist of somewhere, I'll be happy to post them. So this is a cool thing too. Love it. Fantastic. And there'll be links to find you in the, in our show notes as well. So, uh, on that sad note, I do think we need to transition. Yeah, probably. To the to the to the time of the episode that everybody knows and loves our wives mostly our wives, <laughs> not the episode the topic is not our wives but our wives this is what they listen to. <laughs> Sometimes it is just our wives. Yeah. Andrew, other things. What do you got? Okay, so I have a pair of boots that I've uh, that I've put through the ringer. I've done terrible things to these boots. Boots, I love it. Boots, and it's by a company called Garment. G A R M O N T. Garment. 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 So the. We should ask, we'll ask Michael when we get back to it. (laughs) So they they do a whole line of outdoor mountaineering, technical hiking, trail running. The boots that I'm going to talk about today are a pair of duty specific boots. I wore them while I was in the army and I have, I've put them through the just very terrible experience they're called a t8 b-i-f-i-d-a bifida i think yeah that's a very easy to remember name yeah uh i can't why is the picture's all cloudy still well you know here we go um so they're like 150 bucks the problem is they only come in coyote at 150 bucks you got to order them from outside the country in any other color but they are hands down so so they're designed kind of around the idea of the um, the jungle boot style. They've got a little bit of a mesh upper, mm-hmm. rough side out leather, great ventilation, a nice heel break. They are simultaneously the most comfortable and most supportive boots I have ever worn. If it was okay to wear boots like this in just normal life, the, I think these would be the only pair of shoes I ever wore. I put hundreds and hundreds of miles on this pair of boots and they are not worn out yet. I don't know how. They're, they're indestructible. You know, I think that they've got... Uh, right out a, of the box, too, sorry. They, they've got a sole that's uh, a little bit more substantial, mm-hmm. right? You see that with many of the modern tactical boots, you see, you know, really sort of foamy, absorby uh, midsoles, and these have a oh, more substantial mean, yeah. mean which means you're maybe going to sacrifice a little bit in the way of shock resistance and uh, shock absorption, perhaps. They're maybe not going to be the softest, most cushy boots, but that's but, not always what you want, no. right? These are in the style of those very first uh, Danner 
boots as the U- United States military was transitioning from uh, the tactical boots of old to modern sort of hiking mm-hmm. style. Right? They they remind me of like the the not Corcoran but like the the yeah any of the the Vietnam era jungle boots mm-hmm. the black and green jungle boot yep. they're styled very similarly after that but they're they're soles are extraordinarily durable they're comfortable right out of the box I've never gotten a blister in these and I'm gonna I'm gonna put them to the test in the mountains this year yeah two weeks yep two weeks you've given I'm, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna go sixteen days is my goal you've given me the announcement already that we're either gonna have to can some episodes or or have some guest hosts <laughs> yeah. in September so yeah noted. Noted. Those are fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I dig them. I dig them. Uh, I, I think some there, there's always that. Uh, there's always that. A- anytime you're buying boots, there's always that uh, balance between uh, comfort and durability, right? And I think they strike probably on the durability side. Uh, yeah, they tend towards durability, but the comfort is unparalleled. They still strike a great balance there. So, well, yeah. cool. Tempted. Got, what, what was that? I am tempted. You right. managed to tempt me. Uh, look at that. Touch that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you do any kind of outdoor pursuit and they the the black boots i was going to order a pair for for my current job uh but they only they would they only i can only find them out of italy so they might actually be easier for you to find and not coyote probably brown fantastic yeah so i've got i'm coming i'm coming out of left field do it for my other thing so it's not hbo or netflix it's, it's not probably not hulu it's it's not so i'm gonna talk about something weird I'm going to talk about something very fucking expensive. I mean, not very expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, pretty expensive. I think relative to what people are typically willing to spend money on, it's expensive. You know, I I think with a lot of the things we do, we're in that world, you and I, and perhaps you as well, Michael, we're in that world where, you know, our, our natural curiosity about the way things work and how to, uh, how to get more out of your products leads us into, more and more expensive uh more and more expensive options that's that achieve certain functions right so i spend 90 percent of all of my waking hours on my ass in a chair all right mm-hmm. and the other 10 percent spent running right <laughs> that's a, that's actually not totally <laughs> inaccurate uh so i have uh been through a number of office chairs in my life um, I was an employee for a long time, and as an employee, both of the United States Army and of other businesses had the opportunity to sit in some pretty nice chairs, right? So the United States Army has contracts. They spare no expense with their chairs. They and, and there's some good reasons for that, right? The United States Army pays a lot of money in disability benefits. And, and despite what you might think, most soldiers, service members... Most service members spend most of their time on their ass in a chair. You, you know, there, there are certain uh, occupations in the Army where you don't do that. But by and large, most of your stateside force is on their ass in a chair. Even deployed, you're in a chair. They're just not as comfortable. That's right. <laughs> so the United States Army has uh, contracts with a company called Herman Miller. You've probably heard of Herman Miller. Herman Miller makes some very cool chairs. Uh, you know, MoMA stuff. Uh, but also functional office office chairs. So when I became an owner of a company a number of years ago, I had to, you know, no longer do I get the chair that I'm given. Uh, and, and I was fortunate enough to have been given some pretty good chairs. Now I'm in the situation where I need to buy a chair for my ass to be in. <laughs> and I think most people, I, this is my guess, 
I think most people, when they think about how much should I spend on a chair, it's in the $150 to $250 range. Yeah, it's probably reasonable assumption. Somewhere in there. And I have determined, after a number of years of having bought my own chairs, that that's not good enough for me. I'm going to be sacrificing a couple of things in that range and different things depending on the chair you choose. So I finally this year uh, made the decision that I was going to have a budget and buy a chair. And I did that. I did that. And it took me a long time to decide which chair I wanted. I settled on a chair called the Herman Miller Mira 2, M-I-R-R-A 2. I, would have, I thought that was a pronunciation of M-I-R-R-O-R, the Mira. Mira. <laughs> Black Mira. <laughs> no, Mira. Uh, and, and so this is a chair that's sort of designed by a, a sort of Holt design firm uh, to look good, mm-hmm. to be stylish, but also to be functional as all get out. And so I bought this chair. I got a refurb. I got a refurb Mira 2 for 600 motherfucking dollars, which hurts. If it doesn't hurt me, you sit in it. I sat in it a couple days ago. It was delightful. I will tell you, I never thought I was going to spend this kind of money on a refurbished chair, but I did, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I have never, my ass has never been so happy with any decision I've ever made, <laughs> any sort of uh, acquisition. Your I've lumbar never, I mean, just think of how happy your lumbar is. The lumbar's happy too. So, uh, you know, I <laughs> guess I guess the point being, not that you should buy the Mira 2, because I'm not sure that everybody should buy the Mira 2, but I do... What, I, what my other thing is here is if you're in an occupation, which I think most of you are, where you're sitting down and you have to buy your own shit, spend more than you think you should. And here's why. Yeah. Here's why. I spend at least, at least one third of my total hours in this motherfucker. Sometimes more. You need to take care of your body for that one third of your, I mean, not just one third of my waking hours, one third of my time is spent in this chair. Maybe not quite one-third, but at least 30%. I mean, you for sure sleep in it. <laughs> I could, yeah. right? So the point is not to buy this chair, but I, I've been two months. Uh, I'm, I'm, my body feels better. Um, my shoulders, that's a weird thing. My shoulders mm-hmm. feel better. My whole body, it, it naturally pushes you into a better posture. I think if you're in that situation where you need to buy a chair, consider spending way more than you think you should. Mm-hmm. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. And so I love this chair. It's fantastic. You sat in it and you were like, you know, it's not set up for me, but I, I, I know I could it. get there. Yeah. And that, the, does it have a body massage or a bottom massage? You know, I, uh, that's, that's the one thing it's missing, for. Michael. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Don't say that. I'm going to get sued. Uh, yeah, because I do have employees and they will sue me. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, other things, what do you got? Okay. Um, I read a book, probably a lot of you uh, read it. It's called Sapiens, uh, A Small History of Humankind, Humanity. And I learned so much thing with this history of the world, how, how all the thing we assume is a bit different than than what he says. It's from Yuval Noah Arari. And I recently heard another thing from him, maybe it was on TEDx or somewhere else, where he is warning us of being us human being being hacked by all the data around us. 
So he was saying that we are leaving so many tracks of ourselves on the data that computers are able to understand us more than our wives. It's a bit scary, hmm. but it's worth noticing that I have my cousin um, who helped me making watches. We haven't spoken enough about that, but my cousin, he's investing in application that blur the whole search on internet, blur all his payment, blur all the things he purchased in order not to be tracked and being a hackable. Mm -hmm. Because if we know everything about you, we can change you. That's what he was saying. But yeah. if you have never heard about the book Sapiens, it's amazing. And then it comes into the Homo Deus. So Sapiens, everything before our history, and Homo Deus, everything as a potential future. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I don't know the guy. Huh? I'm not doing advertisement, but uh, I loved it. It, it, I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts where he's either been a guest or they've talked about it, and he's absolutely fascinating. He's he's I think like an anthropologist by trade, um, and he, and his his perspective on human history and human future is really fascinating. Great pick, yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm going to read this because I, I'm fascinated. There's another book that it that just the the concept reminds me of. There's a book uh, by uh, an author, a professor called. Jared Diamond is his name, called Guns, Germs, and Steel, mm -hmm. which is sort of human evolution by way of these sort of discrete items, you know, these discrete substances, guns, germs, and steel. Uh, and, and it's just the concept sort of reminds me of that. So I wonder as, as companion uh, as companion treatises, how, they, how they'd respond to one another. So I may do... Uh, uh, guns, germs, steel, sapiens. Uh, Homo Deus <laughs> is the next one. He's done a couple too. He's he's fascinating. Yeah. Well, w wonderful, M Michael. We do probably need to wrap today. Uh, I'm going to tell you at home listening. If you if you're not familiar with Gavox, check him out. Gavox.com. Uh, Michael's got just a a series of fantastic watches, and they're all worth mentioning. And we didn't probably spend enough time with each of the individual watches today, but. That's okay. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll get there in the future. And we do have a couple of watches that we've been posting pictures of and we'll continue to do so. Also, Gavox watches on Instagram.com. Michael, anything you want to add before we go? I want to thank you again, Everett, uh, Andrew. So many thanks being on the show. And it feels so cool. I have been invited to Oregon. I have just traveled a small time now into United States, Oregon. Great. You know, wonderful. Anytime you come back, give us a holler. So. Oh, we'd love to meet you in Hood River and have some beers up there. Great beer in Hood River, but too. Come here in Belgium. I'll offer you all the different beers, 1,000 uh, beer, and we'll taste them. Your all offer is way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. All well, of them. So thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Check us out on Instagram, at 40 and 20. Don't forget to check out Gavox at Gavox Watches. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash 40 and 20 that's where we get all the support for our microphones our hosting everything we do uh yeah don't forget to tune back in next thursday for another hour of watches food drinks life and other things we like Bye bye <laughs>